0: Hello, and welcome to another installment in the Tech Me Out podcast series. I am your host, Fatima Zaradebi, a research fellow at the Business Human Rights and Environment Research Group and the Law and Emerging Tech and Science Lab based at the University of Greenwich. In today's episode, we will turn to a technology that at first glance seems to belong only within the realm of science fiction novels and films, but at second glance has recently become more than just fiction lethal autonomous weapons. Joining me today to explore the key debates surrounding lethal autonomous weapons and alternative approaches to understanding and regulating these weapons is my esteemed guest, Dr. Emily Jones, a lecturer in the School of Law and Human Rights Center at the University of Essex. She's a generalist public international lawyer whose interdisciplinary work combines theory and practice. Her work cuts across gender and international law, international environmental law, the Law of the Sea, Science, Technology, and International Law, Post-Human Legal Theory, Gender and Conflict, and Political Economy, Imperialism, and International Law. Within these areas, her current work focuses on the rights of nature, military technologies, including autonomous weapon systems and human enhancement technologies, and the regulation of deep sea mining. Emily, welcome to the Tech Me Out series, and thank you for joining
1: me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So before we
0: dive in really to examining lethal autonomous weapons, um, and particularly the current approaches that have been taken with regard to the regulation of these weapons, I'd like to really provide our listeners with a background, particularly what do we mean when we say lethal autonomous weapons? There is no universal definition of the lethal autonomous weapons. However, they can be understood as weapon systems that operate without human intervention, using artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies to identify, select, and kill targets on the basis of a generalized target profile. Lethal autonomous weapons or killer robots, as they have commonly been referred to have been met with various calls for their ban. In 2013, Human Rights Watch and various other non-governmental organizations launched the campaign to stop killer robots, uh, identifying the existence of these lethal autonomous weapon systems as incredibly problematic for several reasons. For example, it is unclear the extent to which lethal autonomous weapons would, in the midst of combat, comply with core principles of international humanitarian law, which seeks to make the conduct of really war and hostilities more humane. To this end, it's really uh, unclear the extent to which lethal autonomous weapons could um, evaluate really the proportionality of a attack, distinguish between a civilian, a protected individual, and international humanitarian. Law and uh, a combatant, and also distinguish between uh, legitimate and illegitimate military objectives. This concern is also applicable to other legal frameworks, such as international human rights law, particularly where these weapon systems would be employed in situations outside of war and armed conflict. There are also concerns over the lack of uh, accountability for any unlawful acts or interferences with individuals' rights. Um, perpetrated really by the operation of these weapon systems. And this is really a uh, concern not only applicable specifically to lethal autonomous weapon systems, but applicable to really um, autonomous Systems such as AI machine learning technologies in general. Furthermore, since 2018, the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has consistently called for states to ban leaf autonomous weapons, referring to them as morally repugnant and politically unacceptable. And more recently, last month in May 2021, The International Committee of the Red Cross called for the adoption of new international legal rules to address the ethical, humanitarian and legal challenges posed by lethal autonomous weapons. The International Committee of the Red Cross have recognised the adoption of of new international legal rules as a crucial step in responding to concerns surrounding lethal autonomous weapon systems, noting that really a number of factors should be considered in the development of such rules, including, for example, regulations to ensure human control over these autonomous systems. It should therefore be clear from this position uh, taken by the International Committee of the Red Cross that there is no current international legal framework at a universal level across really all states that regulates the design, existence, and use of lethal autonomous weapons. So in light of the significant implications of lethal autonomous weapons, particularly on human rights and the conduct of armed conflict, how has regulation been approached in the international context?
1: So there's quite a few things here that we need to think about. Um, I mean, the first thing is, I know you've done um, in the introduction, you've talked a little bit about what autonomous weapons are and some of the different um, frameworks, etc. But we really do need to think about what lethal autonomous weapons are before we start talking about the law and this is kind of where I'm coming at with this topic so there's not actually a very clear definition of these systems there's kind of agreed definitions that people tend to draw on but you know broadly most people agree that they are systems which can independently select targets so you know choose something and decide whether it is a kind of target whether they want to target it or not and then decide to actually act so I think Then how we're thinking about kind of um, the law on this really then depends on that to some extent. So there are kind of, for me, the two kind of main legal frameworks that I engage with on this area is first international humanitarian law, of course, so the laws that govern conflict. Um, So Thinking about whether, you know, technology can actually uphold those rules, the possibilities around that, you know, is is a a kind of particular building a a legitimate target? How many civilians might be killed? Is that proportionate? Can machines actually think about that? Um, And then the other thing that I'm really interested in as well is just disarmament. You know, what machines, um, what technologies should we be allowed to deploy and which ones should actually just be banned because they're against, you know, well, what we call it in the law kind of public conscience, but are they just kind of ethically wrong? So those are kind of the two main areas that um, I'm concerned with, really. And looking at lethal autonomous weapons from those two areas,
0: uh, so from... the perspective of really international humanitarian law and also uh, disarmament seems to really represent the normative approach that's taken by states, by intergovernmental organizations, as well as non-governmental organizations, uh, to understanding how lethal autonomous weapons operate, the implications of the design and use of such weapons, and also understanding really how we can look to either regulating them or banning them. So, for example, since 2014, there have been talks uh, between states really on looking at the drafting of a new protocol to the Convention on Conventional Weapons. But in your opinion, what would you say are the key issues such as limitations that arise with this current approach to understanding and regulating lethal autonomous weapons?
1: Yeah, so this really kind of comes back a bit to this, how we define these systems in a sense. So as you noted um, you know, there's been a lot of groups that are calling for greater regulation, that lots of groups are called for a ban of, a, of lethal autonomous weapon systems. And you can see why, you know, the idea of kind of like these killer robots walking around, that sounds really scary. I don't think many people are going to be like, yeah, we definitely want those. Um, well, some people will, <laughs> <Certain> military <laughs> personnel, obviously. But, you know, Human rights community, we're probably not so much on board with that, right? Yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> we don't want Hopefully. we don't want little terminators running
1: around, I don't think. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound very fun anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the kind of the problem for me here is really then how we define these systems, because what are we actually regulating? What are we actually banning? And you know, we're lawyers, we're used to kind of states and, you know, powerful groups really kind of working on those definitions to limit them so that they kind of get what they want still. And that's my concern here, really, because if we think about autonomy, you know, if we define autonomy in a kind of pure sense and in terms of it's a machine that can kind of independently walk around, make choices itself, do all of these things, well, if it really has full artificial intelligence, militaries don't necessarily want to deploy that anyway because it it could actually decide to like turn against the military and and, you know they can't control that yeah um so that's my concern and and then but if we look at kind of things that exist this kind of distinction between autonomy and automation kind of gets blurred a lot more you know what what do we count as kind of automated and what do we count as autonomous well actually they pose pretty similar ethical issues at the end so I guess my concern is that we're focusing so much on lethal autonomous weapon systems that we're actually not kind of situating that within the broader context of the technologies that are being developed is my main concern
0: and turning to your own work because your own work has looked at really uh the lethal autonomous weapons and the impact really of the uh, normative really approach of looking at it and you have adopted a post-human f- uh, feminist lens to understanding these
1: issues yeah exactly yeah <laughs> I should probably tell you what that means <laughs> <laughs> please yes yeah so I mean post-human feminism um it kind of sounds a bit scary like a new word but it's um, for lawyers especially but it's kind of like this body of work within cultural studies philosophy etc which I draw on because I think it gets us to rethink these different questions around how are humans connected to machines etc so um, I define post-human feminist theory as kind of sitting at the convergence of on the one hand post-humanism so challenging, who is the central subject of the law? Who is the kind of human subject? Well, we know from feminist legal theory, it's the white, able-bodied, individual, middle-class, straight man, mm. um, basically, <laughs> right? Um, so that's, you know, one thing that it seeks to dismantle. But then it br- brings also this kind of idea of challenging the hierarchy of the human over other subjects. So that can be the environment and non-human animals, but also machines. So that's kind of how I'm using it here. How can we think about human and machine connections in a different way? Um, you know, it, it, in the debate around autonomous weapons, we're always seeing the machine as very much the other. So how can we note those interconnections, if that makes sense?
0: Right, that does make a lot of sense. Moving kind of away from technology, we've seen a really a rise in kind of the rights of nature uh-huh. um, theories, looking at trying to use the rights of nature to really regulate uh environmental impacts such as climate change really and really anthropocentric impacts on the environment but turning back to uh technology so applying kind of a um a post-human feminist lens to these debates surrounding lethal autonomous weapons how does it seem i mean you've mentioned that obviously redefines these connections between machine and uh, humans could you elaborate really on that
1: yeah of course so So I guess there are two things that I want to focus on here. So the first one is the human and machine connection, as I noted, but I also want to go back to this autonomy automation connection, because I think that they're very interlinked in lots of ways. So as I said at the start, you know, my my work seeks to kind of understand, well, you know, we're focusing so much on lethal autonomous weapon systems. What about the kind of wider context? What about kind of understanding various other systems, which operate are uh, maybe already being used you know um etc you know, arguably we don't already have lethal autonomous weapon systems actually being deployed so but we do have various other systems which are being deployed that raise ver- the similar kind of questions kind of how we can rethink them from this feminist post-human perspective if we think about the human machine connection we already see various technologies where humans and machines are working together to make life-death decisions And and that, for me, is the essential thing that people are really worried about in terms of lethal autonomous weapon systems, right? They're they're concerned about machines making these decisions. But if this is already happening because, you know, there are various levels of automation that kind of are feeding into those decisions because humans and machines are already very interconnected, then how do we think about this? So I can give a couple of examples because I think that makes it a bit um, (laughs) clearer. (laughs) So what am I actually talking about? So on the one level, you kind of have um, various systems. I mean, we can even talk about drone warfare. I think that's quite a good one to think about, actually. Because, you know, drones obviously are being flown by someone but generally they're not making decisions by themselves I mean the British have some drones that are starting to do that but that's slightly another issue yeah. um, but to think about a traditional drone I mean if we can say traditional anymore well I guess we probably can for drones now which is scary in its own way but, um, but if we're thinking about a drone you know somebody's flying it and someone's telling that person okay you need to target this particular area or this group of people, et cetera. But that, you know, if you look at how drone warfare actually operates, you know, te- all of this data is collected from GPS tracking, tracking people's phones, um, you know, potentially spies on the ground, etc. But all of that information is collated by a machine. And then basically a file is presented to someone saying, well, this person is probably a terrorist or this group of people are likely to be terrorists yeah you know, if the machine has collected all that data and is basically kind of given you this massive file saying that you you know we need to watch out for this person, to what extent is a human still making that decision? Mm. So that's kind of what I, I what I'm challenging here. And the other thing that I think is quite interesting is thinking also about human enhancement technologies too. Um, so, you know, I already mentioned that to create a lethal autonomous weapon that can like walk around on various territories, decide what it wants to do itself. We're a long way off that technologically. Militaries might not really want it anyway, but you know, to actually enhance human soldiers is something that has long been done. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, and at what point is a human so enhanced? You know, if you have a system that is telling you exactly where someone's firing at you from and telling you that you should shoot, sure, you might still make that decision to actually shoot and this is actually a system that exists. But the machine has kind of already made the decision for you in some ways. And you can see how this could get more and more advanced. There's now systems where you you can be um, out of combat, but you can actually still be flying a drone using your brainwaves. How, how far does this go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there that's quite scary. Um, so, yeah, and th- you know, there's the kind of systems that they can stimulate your brainwaves so you learn things much quicker. Yeah, at what point does a human become so enhanced that the same ethical questions arise as they would with a lethal autonomous weapon? Because they are so enhanced and they have so many machines feeding into their decision making process. So that's what I think, you know, this post-human feminist lens allows us to think through in some ways. Yeah, and it seems to
0: raise concerns, particularly if you've got technologies that can really um, stimulate our brainwaves. There's a concern really of if that was to be used as a uh, weapon of, uh, that's deployed in combat as well. And beyond this, this, um, this post-human feminist lens provides an alternative view that hasn't really been considered um, particularly within international humanitarian law, we don't really see, uh, particularly in like the rules governing international humanitarian law, any really restrictions or regulation of the medical and technological enhancements to um, combatants during armed conflict. Um, so that's that's a really interesting point that's uh, that you've raised really here. Uh, um, and you've raised through uh, the adoption of this lens, this post-human feminist lens in your own work. Turning back to really um, post-human feminism, does it really provide any um, solutions to the current way that we've looked at lethal autonomous weapons or even sought to really regulate them?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think it does uh, You can <laughs> disagree. Other people might disagree, but yeah, my, my perspective on this is well, international humanitarian law for one is it's trying to do its best in kind of trying to make conflict more humane. That's kind of the role of that area of the law, but in the end, it's still kind of allowing and justifying conflict. So there's kind of a, a limit there. And I think there's a limit to how much it can apply to these new technologies. Uh, it just gets very complicated. And on the other hand, we have disarmament. And I already mentioned in, in disarmament, a lot of groups call for a ban of these systems. And that tends to be what you go for in disarmament. You know, We've had blinding lasers have been banned, obviously cluster, certain cluster munitions, et cetera. There's been bans on different systems. But the problem with that is that you ban or allow something. So if we ban lethal autonomous weapon systems, but states define it in such a way that they're actually banning something that they don't really want themselves anyway in the meantime, they can still keep using all of these technologies, you know, drone warfare, you know, systems that can enhance their soldiers, can make, make it so that their soldiers don't ever need to sleep. Self-healing technologies. You know, these are all things that are in development or exist already. Yeah. Well, what, to what extent does a ban actually help? So, you know, I think the post-human feminist approach kind of actually gets us to think a bit about, well, how do we want to actually think about disarmament? Do we need to think about disarmament in a more nuanced way? Um, And I think kind of having some sort of system where we actually have to review all weapons independently, you know, for now, weapons are reviewed um, by states, it's often behind closed doors, they say, yes, it complies with international humanitarian law, it's fine, but we don't really know that reasoning. I think something more independent that really requires us to think about who is in control of this, who's making these decisions what is the meaningful human control that that is here? Who's the meaningful human in this as well? You know, thinking about Global South perspectives and all of the states that have called for a ban are actually in the Global South, which I think is quite telling. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, who's going to actually suffer at the hands of these systems? So that's what I think the post-human feminist perspective calls us to think about. It calls for a kind of broader ethical consideration of the technologies which are being deployed and being developed right now
0: because obviously we're not from the global south but do you know of any um global south perspectives that you could elaborate
1: on or touch upon so I mean the only things that I've seen uh, this is also the problem with kind of a lot of um these things the big NGOs are mostly based in Europe um (laughs) as we know but um yeah if you look at the list of which countries have called for a ban they are all in the global south um so I can't remember the list off the top of my head, it's been a little while since I looked at it, but a few kind of states in um, South America, um, obviously Middle East. Um, so, and I, and I think that that perspective is really important for sure, because we need to think, you know, the debate here is really, we need to think about meaningful human control of these systems, but, but who is the meaningful human that's feeding into that? If we're kind of thinking about neurocentric norms of who that human subject is, that's really problematic. We need to include a wider array of voices in this, I think. Um, and that's what the post-human perspective allows us to think through. You know, As I said, it, it critiques who is the human subject as well as this kind of human machine connection and tries to like, make sure that we think about all those things at the same time, which is not always easy. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And particularly we find that a
0: lot of human rights obviously tries to put the human really the victim um, at the end of the day at the centre. And I believe that post human feminism, would you say that um, post human feminism is trying to really put uh, or consider really those that will suffer at the hands of this sort of technology? Because on the one hand, we're looking at human interaction um, with regard to who's controlling, but what about who suffers at the end of that uh, any unlawful acts perpetrated by this technology?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's the thing that we really need to start centering much more in this debate. And I just don't think that that has been done enough actually a lot more work needs to be done to kind of really focus on well experiences of people who actually live in drone warfare I mean these people can tell you that it's pretty awful and that they're not going to want lethal autonomous weapon systems right um but you know how how can we kind of center those voices much more I think is really important here
0: on that note of alternative perspectives what would you like to see more in in scholarship, in really this uh, this field of understanding and kind of the regulation of lethal autonomous weapons,
1: it would be great to kind of see uh, more people engaging on, in this as well. You know, I think there's emerging work from feminist perspectives, including my own, but also um, you know, reaching cr- Critical Will, which is a think tank of the um, Women's International League for Peace and um, Freedom, is also kind of doing some work on this and and to have those those perspectives global south etc and I think that's also a matter of funding isn't it so I think yeah. we need to kind of make funding much more available for different organizations to get involved on this question. And just to finish off you
0: have a book out uh I believe it's um The Law of War and Peace The Gender Analysis and this is the first volume uh volume one and um what this book seems to Look at is this relationship Between law and conflict Gender and peace And do you uh, Do you touch upon really uh, lethal autonomous weapons In this book
1: Yeah we do So yeah this is our The a co-authored book That um, I wrote with uh, Sarah Batotti Gina Heathcote And Cherry Lebensky um, Which just came out with Zed press. And we do talk a little bit about, um well, more broadly, military technologies in, in that volume. So particularly, in, we have a chapter. So in that book, we really try to engage with the kind of key areas of um, the laws around conflict. So we have a, a chapter on international humanitarian law um, that seeks to kind of really engage with some of the post-human theories. But we also bring in um, Gina Heathcote's work around of what this means from a kind of critical crip disability studies perspective as well um, you know if we're enhancing humans what does that mean for the human and for ableism and, and all of these different questions as well so um, i guess that's a slightly different lens that we bring in there which is quite interesting
0: thank you very much for um joining me on this exploration of leaf autonomous weapons and for highlighting really the key debates Um, and even the alternative approach through um, post-human feminism to looking at and regulating even and really thinking about um, how we approach lethal autonomous weapons. So
1: thank you very much for that. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to have a chat with you and and to hear your thoughts as well. So um, yeah, thanks for inviting me.
0: (laughs) And there you have it, post-human approaches in a post-human world. Thank you for listening in to the Tech Me Up podcast series and be sure to check out the other interesting episodes we have in this series. Until next time.